But with that, if you don't mind, uh, I'd like to open up with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the many blessings that you provide for us. Father, with this time, we, we ask that you would allow us to study your word, uh, understand what you have in store for us, understand what, what you would like for us to do. Um, most importantly, Father, understand how we can help others come to see you, come to know you, uh, and come to accept you as the God of the universe and the, the Lord of their lives. Father, in all these things we pray, in Christ's name, our Savior. Amen. Okay, um, so we've been kind of walking through priority, how, how we should look at things, um, the things that are most important. And if you remember from last class, we talked about uh, being able to put yourself and your relationship with God as the number one thing in your personal life, and then our collective relationship as, as the church goes forward. Our collective relationship with God needs to be the church's priority, first and foremost. Because we can't lead others if, if we've fallen astray, and the church, if it gets weak and, and ineffective, the church won't be able to be uh, doing God's will and, and following his, his purpose and mission in life. So now we get to the question of, what is the church's mission and what is our mission? Uh, and Kwesi mentioned a couple of uh, Sundays ago about how we have our priority of, of keeping ourselves in touch with God, but then followed immediately, we are to reach out and help and seek and save the lost. And doing that um, in military parlance requires something called maneuver. Uh, in the joint world, each service moves differently. The Air Force moves by the air, the Navy by the sea, and the Army by the ground. And the hardest thing to coordinate among all of the military services is this thing, this concept called maneuver, because we all do it differently. We think differently. Uh, it requires different pieces and parts to make it happen. Um, the Navy moves big things slow. The Air Force moves small things fast. So it's just this weird, awkward thing of trying to get it all together. And that became one of the problems in the joint world. And we weren't sure we were going to be able to get it fixed. Um, honestly, we were, we were struggling with it from the 80s through into the 90s. Gulf War I, uh, Desert, uh, Shield Desert Storm, was kind of this first time we had to really, really work as a joint unit and get the maneuver together and get it to work right. And Saddam Hussein had kind of watched the U.S. military try to do maneuver, especially in, in the desert area he was at, and he knew that we had failed miserably and Desert Eagle, which was the attempted rescue of the Iranian hostages. And Saddam was pretty comfortable that the U.S. would not have his act together when it came to maneuvering in the desert, especially the desert that was his backyard. Um, however, there was a unique technology that was being developed in the 80s, especially leading up to the 90s, it was called GPS. Saddam Hussein had never really practiced with GPS because it was relatively a new state-of-the-art thing, and the U.S. military had kind of developed it specifically to help maneuver and get things figured out. So as the Desert Shield turned to Desert Storm, the U.S. military was able to maneuver very, very effectively. And in fact, it maneuvered so effectively that within three days, Saddam Hussein threw up his, red, his white flag and said, I'm done, I quit, don't kill us anymore. And he hurried his uh, Republican Guard back to the, the, the barracks as fast as he could because he didn't want to get him schwacked. So that is how we as a church need to look at this battle. We need to understand that God has given us this unique technology called GPS. God is our guide. God's able to help us get to where we need to be. We just need to be willing to step forward in faith and move out and do it. So are there 
times when we need to move to do God's will, this is a metaphorical question, or what's what I'm looking for? Rhetorical question, thank you. So rhetorical question, does God want us to move to do his will? Yes, okay, good. Is God going to let us know when he wants us to move? If we're faithful, if we're, if we're confident in God's ability to lead us, is God going to tell us when to move? Yes, okay. So those are two questions that help us get that, that confidence we need to be able to move forward. But what is it that God wants us to do when we start moving? Do we know that? Okay, maybe not so much. Do we always know what God has in store for us when he puts our feet on the path ahead? Nope. I'm here, I'm guilty. I don't know what God's plan is for me my entire life. I know what the end is. I know at the end, salvation is mine because Christ paid for that. But between here and there, I don't know what God has in store for me. Can that uncertainty cause a little bit of doubt, a little bit of challenge, a little bit of misgivings? Yes, there we go. So I don't know what's ahead of me. I don't know what's on the other side of that door, but I know God has in store for me an opportunity to get me through that door. And the church is kind of in that same boat. The church has a long path ahead of it. What's next for the church, we're not 100% sure of, but we know that God has that. And it's, it's understanding that we can move, we can do what God wants us to do, but having that confidence to step out and do it, that's where we have to make that, that blind leap of faith, if you will. Um, Genesis chapter 22 and verse 6, Abraham is, is kind of sitting there trying to figure out what God wants him to do because he's a little concerned. This is Abraham and Isaac, and I'm sure you're familiar with the story, but I want to put that in context here. God is telling Abraham, take your son, go to the mountain, and offer a sacrifice. Okay, Abraham knows where this is going. Abraham has, he, he knows the path. He's la the path is laid out in front of him. He's called to go forth and do this thing. But, but Abraham has to really reach down in his soul and say, okay, this is what the Lord wants me to do. I am willing to maneuver. I'm willing to go forth and do this thing because God is asking me to do it. God provides an, another sacrifice for Abraham. Because in his faith, Abraham moves out and does what God is asking him to do. When you look at what the, the U.S. military's joint language is, it reads like this. Movement of forces to secure or retain position of advantage, typically in support of a primary objective. Okay, that's what the military says maneuver is all about. And when you think about what Abraham was doing, Abraham was going to support a primary objective, and that was ensuring that God was seen as the God of all. Abraham needed to have that cemented in his mind that God was able to do all of the things that he wanted to do. Sometimes we move towards things. There are occasions we're asked to move away from things. What are some of the things we're asked to move away from? 
Sin. There we go. Sin and the things that cause us to stumble. Okay, so Genesis chapter 39, verse 12. That's where Joseph is caught up in a very bad situation with Potiphar's wife. And Joseph knows that he shouldn't be there with Potiphar's wife. So God says, you need to leave that situation. Joseph is able to leave. Was it, was it immediately a successful leaving for Joseph? No. It, it's almost like you're reading the story and you're like, man, that, that, that wasn't the way to go, Joseph. You know, that, that didn't go where you thought it would. That didn't go according to plan. But was God's purpose served? Amen. And that's the key. As we start reading through how these things fit together, we can understand that God's purpose is served as we are willing to move for him. What are some of the other areas and other things we need to get away from? Any thoughts? Hold on, let me get you a microphone here real quick. Um, good morning. Morning. Um, I know. I, so one of the things we need to do is let God be God, because like when Abram was or Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice his son, and then he was stopped by the angel, and then he saw the ram. Sometimes God presents an out. Yes. And we don't recognize it. Abraham recognized it, and that's a good thing. Yes. That is a good thing. So we need to let God be God, even when he presents that solution. Right. And letting God be God allows us to see the solutions that God has presented for us. I mean, there's the old uh, story about the guy on the rooftop who's in the flood, and a boat comes by and says, hey, jump in the boat. And he says, nope, God's going to save me. And then a canoe comes by, and they go, look, we're the last ones. And he goes, nope, God's going to save me. And then finally a raft comes by, and the, and the people on the raft are like, come on, come on. He goes, nope, God's going to save me. And then he drowns. And he goes up to heaven and he goes, God, I thought you were going to save me. And he said, I sent you a boat wrapped in a canoe. What else do you want? That's the kind of thing where we have to let God be God. God is going to present solutions for us. We simply have to be looking for them and ready to take that step. And, and that's the hard part for us is being ready, being, being in that position to be able to say, yes, Lord, I understand you want me to move. I don't know exactly where I'm going to be moving to. Or I, I don't know why I need to move away from this. Sometimes we do. But the Lord is going to let us know it's time to move. Often it's accompanied with the background and the story and you know kind of what's going on. Having been military uh, 25 years, there was a lot of times that you just move because it's your time. And, and you know your time on that point is done and you have to move to a new location. And the Lord's been very, very good to us and providing us a lot of opportunity to come to some really unique places, meet some wonderful people, and continue in a, in a very, very interesting walk with the Lord. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I can't wait to see what the next door is. And a lot of us get that way. We, we're ready to see what the next door is. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we get complacent. We kind of hang out and we're like, I'm not sure what that door has, and I don't really want to go there. But as we start kind of thinking about that, that challenge, what is it that God wants us to do, or what is it that God doesn't want us to do, there's a lot of clues in the Bible. 
Okay, so turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Again, this is being able to move and being able to understand what it is that we need to move from. Verse 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up against it. Some of us want to use the excuse that, oh, you know, the devil made me do it. Is that a, is that a common phrase? Everybody says, eh, the devil made me do it. Well, is that fair? Is it fair to say the devil made you do it? What should we say? The devil offered the opportunity, but I chose to follow what the devil offered me, right? So the devil can't make us do anything. The devil can simply open the door. Amen? We choose whether we're going to go through the door or not. Remember what I said that maneuver is seeking that position of advantage. There's a position of advantage that, that we call the moral high ground. Has everybody heard that? The moral high ground? Okay. Sometimes people throw that out as a negative. Oh, you're just going to the moral high ground, like it's a place that is this, this unassailable position that nobody can have. What do you think of when somebody says the moral high ground? What does that mean to you? Choosing the right path? Okay. How about choosing the right reasoning. There's the right path, and you get to the right path by the right reasoning. And, and morals are things that help you reason through and understand what's good and what's bad. The moral high ground is that place that sits up enough where everybody can look at it and see it, and they know it's right, and they know it's the right thing to do, but is it always easy to get to the moral high ground? Nope. Why not? Sorry, get a microphone, please. Let's let everybody hear the comment. Our pride. Pride, yes. Okay. Um, pride is a, a very challenging emotion. Um, how about anger? Can anger keep you from seeing the moral high ground? Hate. Can hate keep you from seeing the moral high ground? Absolutely. We're seeing a lot of that today. Um, actually, we've seen a lot of that throughout history where hate prevents you from seeing the things that you need to see. So God is going to work through all of these challenges that prevent us from seeing the right way to do things, the right way to go, the, the, the opportunity to maneuver. And God is going to try to help us see that that door is where we need to be going instead of this other door. That's on an individual front. We as individuals need to understand that. How do we as a church look at this? Actually, before I go there, let me... Let me I'm going to stay on, the, on individuals for one more point. What is, what is one of the things that Jesus is referred to as far as the world? Okay, the blood of the world, the, the, the giver of the world. How about the light of the world? The light of the world. When you have light... Can you see things? 
If you are in the darkness, is it, is it easy to see things? No. So if you are in the dark and you want to see things, there we are a light that is put on a hill so that we can't be hit that moral high ground has to be reached we have to walk to it we have to go towards that specifically so that we can help others see what's around them if you take that light and you put it under a bushel does it do any good no so we as the light individually need to seek the high ground and that is how we as the church need to operate if we as a church let our light be extinguished are we going to help anything no if we as a church have light but we park ourselves down in a valley behind a tree is that going to do any good no where would god like for us to be up on that hill. God wants us as a church to be on this high ground because we need to be able to give our light out to those around us. As we start working through this, as we start working through our light and what we are doing individually and collectively as a church, is that hill gonna stay in one place? Geographically, yes, hills don't move. We are in a society. We are in a society of other people. Do societies change? Amen. People move around. People change where they're at and what they're doing. Madonna. So if you were to get on Wikipedia mm -hmm. and you were to look up the Portland headlight, that's the famous lighthouse up in Maine. Yes. Jason's family was the very last family to be the caretakers for that lighthouse. Oh, cool. It's still there geographically. It's still being used. But somebody, another entity, saw that it was so important they took over the U.S. Coast Guard. There we go. So we may not be the light. I mean, we could easily walk away or fall in sin, whatever. Somebody else is going to take up that banner. Absolutely. Somebody else will be the light if we're not. God is going to make sure that his lighthouse and the lighthouses throughout the world are manned. Amen? If there is a lighthouse that is not being looked after, God needs that lighthouse to be looked after, correct? Do you think God is going to draw bodies of followers and people who are faithful to God to that lighthouse? Yes. That is the challenge that we have to understand. We may get comfortable with the lighthouse we're in because we think we're, this lighthouse is perfectly fine. And in fact, this lighthouse may be perfectly fine. In fact, this lighthouse may have more light in it than is needed at this moment in time. God may want some of this light to be moved to another lighthouse because that spot needs light too. Okay? 
There are times and places where God wants his message to be received by those around. And there are times when people are receptive, where a community may be receptive, where an entire country may be receptive. Russia right now is going through a lot of soul searching. They're, they're trying to figure things out because they've been told one thing for so long that now that truth really isn't the truth anymore. What happens when what you believed was the truth is no longer the truth? A lot of things become questioned. A lot of opportunities, a lot of doors that had been closed suddenly become open. Those opportunities are things that God is allowing for us as a church, as his body on earth, to be able to break down these doors. Well, are we breaking down the doors? No, what are we doing? We're going through the doors that God has broken down for us. So when we sit there and we try to figure out what it is we need to do, and we know God is saying, go in this direction, and we see a door there, what's our first, what's our first instinct? If God says, go through that door, and you know that's what you need to be doing, but you see that door closed, are you confused? A little bit. Has God asked you to do things that might confuse you sometimes? He asked me. And as long as I stay confused, I'm not moving. And as long as I'm not moving, guess what's happening? I'm going to stay confused. But when I step out and I say, okay, God, that door is there. You want me to go through it. I'm going to start moving forward. Guess what happens? That door just goes away. It, it, it just disappears. How many times have we thought something was blocked until we just tried it, and then when suddenly, oh, <laughs> that wasn't blocked? That's happened to me a lot. And unfortunately, the church can get into that same mindset as well. We can stand outside a door and not try to open it because we're afraid the door is locked. And so believing that door is locked prevents us from going through it. As a congregation, there is a particular activity we're asked to do with Christ. As a congregation and as individuals, we're asked to walk with Christ. Can you sit still and walk? No. So in the walk with Christ, how far are us, how far are each of us, how far are we individually in our walks with Christ? Anybody know how far you've walked with Christ? Anybody want to know how much further you're going to walk with Christ? All the way to the end of the time. I don't know how long that walk is going to be. I don't know how far that walk is going to be. I don't know what things are there. The church doesn't know how far that walk is either. But I know this, to walk means you have to be willing to move. You have to be willing to exert yourself. You have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone. And you have to be able to go where God is asking us to go. Is it, this is, this is going to be kind of a weird question, but I want, to, I want you to think about it. Is it a group of individuals that are ultimately driving the church 
or is it a common mindset that's driving the church? Okay, you, you, caught, you, you caught the metaphor there. The group, this church, is a group of individuals. And we individually will see things differently, correct? But we, as a church, have to move as a church in the same direction. Or at least, if not in the same direction, we have to walk with the same purpose, with the same objective. That's kind of why I started with objective first. Objective is the key thing we're trying to satisfy. And then we slowly get down to actions, the things we're going to do. Walking is an action. As long as we, as a group of individuals, agree that we want to accomplish these objectives, our walks are going to be together. Now, having said that, are we all going to walk the exact same path? No. We can't possibly all walk in everybody else's shoes. That's not how we are going to work. Just like the Air Force flies and the Navy goes across the water and the Army goes across the ground, we have our unique paths that we are going to work through. We have our lives that we're going to live. But as a combined body of Christ, when we move, can we move in unison? That's the key. That's where this starts to spark. That's where we get the, we get the opportunity to, to, to walk through those doors that God is going to collectively open for us. Okay, so now that we agree that we can all be walking in unison, but walking along slightly different paths to get there, do we all have to see things exactly the same? No. Why, why will people see things differently? Different perspectives. Thank you, Ricky. I am looking at you, and I have a great perspective on the audience. You're looking at me, and you don't have that great of a perspective on the people around you, but you have a good perspective of me. That depends upon, the perspective depends upon where you're at in your walk. As you start moving, you will find yourself experiencing perspective that's exactly the same as somebody who went before you. When you get there, listen carefully to the things that have gone on. That's the wisdom. That's the, the, the scripture telling us that those who have gone before us, who have done well, are parents. They are trying to guide us in our paths. When we get there, there are going to be people who are behind us in that walk. What are we supposed to do for those who are behind us? We let them figure it out. Hope, you know, I, that, that's, a good, that's, a good, that's a good try. Teach, thank you. We are here collectively to teach because we are all in different parts of our paths and somebody is going to come along that same path that we've just been through. Somebody's gonna face the same struggles that we have faced. Somebody's gonna see that same challenge. Somebody's gonna walk up to that door and go, why is God asking me to go through this door? Cause it's closed. What are we here to do? Help show people that that door isn't closed. God has opened that door for them. You can go through it. I went through it. I was confused. I'm now 100% certain that God has let me go through that door because I know there's another door ahead of me. So as a congregation, 
We are all at different places in our walks, but there's a reason for that. There's a reason we all have different perspectives and we all have different backgrounds and different ideas. Because if you ever seen a stool stand on one leg, it doesn't do a too good of a job. Two legs, it kind of wobbles quite a bit. Okay, three legs, you start to get a little more support, a little more stability, especially if they're not in the line. Four, five, six, the more support, the more different perspectives you have on a problem, the more strength you have in understanding what that problem is and how big and how, how hard it is to overcome that problem. What are some of the challenges the church has in sharing this perspective? Come on, what is, what's a challenge people have with sharing? I'll start with that question. Quasi. Hold on for a second, please. Hold on just a second. Can you hold on for a second? Just a second, Quasi. Thanks. Um, I have a list of, uh, like, people are not confident in what they are going to share. Yes. They Confidence? Not, they are not knowledgeable. Okay, I'm, I'm concerned my knowledge isn't as good as somebody and else. Also, sometimes they feel that those they are going to share the information with will not accept it. Okay, I might get rejected, yes. And also, um, um, sometimes we feel content with whatever we have, like we, we feel that we are complete. And so at the end of the day, what is the point of sharing with somebody who will not appreciate whatever I'm going to say? So let me keep it and just save myself, you know? So um, these are some of the things that people prevent people from sharing. But yes. in addition, let me add something from okay. when, I, when, when, I, when I came in and you, you were talking about uh, what blocks us, you know, the opportunities and um, uh, things that we have to do in the church. I would like to comment on the fact that there are so many opportunities in the church. It's only when you step into those opportunities by faith that you able to you'll be able to realize the fruits of that opportunity. Right. If you move out from your comfort zone in terms of giving and doing more than giving in the church, you know, like also giving outside and doing other stuff in terms of giving, that is where the, the Lord God Almighty show, shows himself, you know, if you are able to sing very well and even go to go outside and start singing for people, the Lord shows himself. If you start teaching the truth, you're going out for evangelism and preaching the gospel, the Lord shows himself. So there are so many opportunities in the church, so many opportunities in life. Um, it is only when you step into those opportunities by faith that you see the face of God. You know, like the woman who touched uh, Jesus, look at the cloud, uh, the, the crowd, so many people, but she was able to go through to touch Jesus. And Jesus said, who has touched me? You know, so all that I'm saying is, always let us look for opportunities in the church because in Christ, we are free, nothing is blocked. Yes, there's, a couple, there's a couple of things I wanna unpack because you have a lot of cool thoughts and very yeah. interesting concepts And also, all that I will say is when God created this world, he yes. said, I've given you dominion over this earth. Yes. And that dominion is in the Lord Jesus. Exactly. So whatever we do, that should be at the back of our mind. Wherever you find yourself, at work, at school, everywhere, the Lord Jesus has given you dominion over whatever you are doing. And so do it 
by faith and power and everything will succeed. Exactly. So he started with fear of rejection and, and fear of not being good enough to be able to do the thing that we're trying or we, we feel that we've been asked to do. What do you have to do to be a Christian? Come on, Ricky preaches this every Sunday. We can walk through this. Ricky, I, you, you, can't, you can't answer this one. What do you have to do to be a Christian? You repent, confess, baptize, believe, and live a life, right? Walk in the, walk in, is it, is it hard? Is that a hard concept or is that a relatively simple concept to grasp? Simple concept to grasp. The challenge is mastering it, okay? There's the difference between checkers and, and chess. If you've ever played either of those two games, checkers is easy to learn and relatively quickly to master, kind of like tic-tac-toe. Well, I'll start with tic-tac-toe. Tic-tac-toe is relatively easy to learn and you master it in a, in a few days because there's just so many moves you can make. Chess is a very, very complex game. You can learn it pretty quickly, but mastering it takes a lifetime. Christianity is that concept. It, it's something you can grasp pretty quickly. But mastering it takes a lifetime. Do you have to be a master Christian to teach others about Christ? Nope. Guess what? You don't get good at chess unless you play. You will not be a strong Christian if you don't step forth and take the walk with Christ. If you don't exercise your legs, you don't exercise your Christian legs, you will not get stronger. And that's what Quasi was referring to. We have to be willing to step out in faith, understand that God is there with us, and God is going to guide us through things. But we as individuals have to be willing to step forth and do what God's willing or God is asking us to do. We as a church have that same obligation. The church has to be willing to step forth and make that step, that the effort to move forward. If you read Acts chapter 8, the church is under a lot of persecution, but the church moves in a lot of different ways. I mean, if you read all the cities that the, that the preachers in Acts go to, especially Paul, I mean, Paul is a traveling guy. I want to be, uh, I want to be on his, his roadshow next time. That is movement. That's, that's going forth and taking action that the Lord wants us to do. But how can the church, how should the church move as a collective group of people? Can we, do we have to get, do we have to get everybody on board to a particular idea for the church to move forward? No. Is it going to, is it something that we could do if we even tried? Could we get everybody to see things from the same perspective? Not really. Why would it be impossible to get everybody to see things from the same perspective? Okay, that's, that's a good thought. We're not in the same place, but more important than not in the same place, we're all individuals and we got to where we're at differently. We all got here differently. There is no hope, no hope in this world that I would ever come to understand exactly how Ricky feels about something because Ricky has lived a life unique to me. But that doesn't mean that Ricky and I can't see eye to eye on how things could and should be done. And in fact, there's a lot of opportunity that Ricky has that God's going to call Ricky on uniquely that he's going to 
pick me out differently. Because of Ricky's skills and because of Ricky's experiences, he's going to be able to go through doors that I wouldn't be successful at. But I have other doors that I need to go through that are different than Ricky's. However, Ricky and I are both part of this church. This church is going to be collectively asked to move through doors as well. It's a different kind of door. It's a different kind of concept. But it's that unity. The whole thing is Ricky is moving in the air and I'm moving on the ground, but together we have a unified purpose on what we're trying to do. And we can collectively move together. Okay? Ballet. How many of you ever watched ballet? Orchestration. I mean, a well-done ballet. Ballet. There's differences. A well-done ballet that you see all of the dancers moving. They're all moving differently. But from the chair that we're in watching the ballet performance, it's beauty. It's wonderful to watch all of the different movement because it's all synchronized. It's all choreographed together. We're individuals in this congregation, but this congregation is a ballet. God is allowing us to move together in unison. Why do you think one of the biggest points about the church is unity and harmony? Because if we sat in one place, would unity and harmony count for much? Well, not really. I mean, I would know which chair I'm coming into. I wouldn't have to ask. Nobody would be there. I would know how to get out of the door. I'd know how to leave. But unity and harmony doesn't really matter if you're static. Unity and harmony are critical when you're trying to move. That ballet on the stage, if the dancers don't know where they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to be relative to other dancers, watching my daughter do her dance, it's clear that the stage is a moving thing. The dancers have to know where they're at respective to each other. They have to kind of know where everybody's, what is your role? Where are you going? What am I supposed to do? How can I help you? That is how the church is supposed to work together. Because the church is supposed to move. We have to kind of move through and take that stuff. So sitting idle is not an option. Remember the church in Laodicea? They were kind of sitting idle. They weren't moving. Christ couldn't get them to move forward or back. They just kind of sat in one space. They were lukewarm. That's the challenge we have as a church. That fear that Quasi mentioned, that, that I don't know enough to be able to take this step. Look around you. There's other Christians around you here who either have been where you're at or are facing a similar struggle. You can reach out and ask them. If you see somebody struggling, don't sit like a lump on log and go, well, they'll figure it out. One of the challenges for us is to help each other, help us figure out what we can do and how we can move together. Oh. Got to get the microphone, please. it was called the mistake ballet and one child would be up there in a black leotard and everybody else was in pink yes one kid would be in combat boots and the other would have their their shoes on or whatever and so i was thinking about that in relation to the church and how sometimes when we're moving together there's an obvious thing that may not 
be working out so good. But the thing about this ballet that worked was that everybody kept doing their thing. And even though the kid had the black ballet suit on and everybody else was in pink, the others just sort of did what they were supposed to do. And it was a little comical, but it was completed and it was done. And it was, it turned out to be a good thing. We enjoyed it, you know. Absolutely. So I have just a couple of minutes. I wanna, I wanna leave with these thoughts. I don't open up with these thoughts rather and, and leave you with a week to think about them. In that performance, is every dancer perfect? No. Every dancer is going to come off that stage saying, I missed my turn, I didn't do this, I had this thing, this didn't work out. This, But collectively, because they work together in unison, individual flaws ceased to matter because the unison was, was something that was beautiful. We are going to have our flaws. We're going to have our faults. We're going to have challenges. We're going to stumble. God doesn't care about our individual faults. God has forgiven our individual flaws. We have to perform, and I don't want to say perform, but we have to move in such a way that others are attracted to beauty and the love that we're showing each other so they can know that they can join this ballet. They don't have to be perfect. They don't even have to be really good. They just have to be willing. God can do miraculous things with people who are willing to do what he's asking. That's what this church is about. We don't have to be willing. We don't have to be perfect, just willing. Willing to maneuver is the key. That's the ingredient that makes things happen. When we're walking together, we're all imperfect, but we're all willing to love each other despite our imperfections because God loved us first. That is what a, a moving church looks like. And that's how we draw and attract people to us, is through Christ. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, that last part was a little, a little tough. I, I, was, I was trying to get to that point, but thank you for letting me get there. Again, next week, I'm going to be out of, we're going to be out of town, so we will send out an email to let everybody know what's going on in the auditorium and how, how services or how church, how Bible school, Bible class is going to be next week. So just look out for emails. Okay, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. And we will see you not next week, but week after next. Thanks, Brother Alan.